0: Hey, this is Lorenzo Paluzzi.
1: This is Michael Paluzzi from Falls Church Distillers. Really grateful to be here with the Cast Chasers on their podcast. Thank you, Aaron, Scott, and Bobby. It's been an absolute pleasure.
2: You're listening to Cast Chasers Podcast. Well, that is the father-son duo from Falls Church Distillers out of Virginia. And this week, they've called into the Cash Tasters podcast to discuss their great whiskey coming out of the D.C. metro area. Michael gives us a glimpse from the business and marketing side of distilling, while his son, Lorenzo, breaks down the process on an impressive scientific level that will leave you with a far greater appreciation for the amount of work that goes into crafting that perfect bourbon. The group from Falls Church Distillers reminded us just how much passion goes into a micro distillery, and the results speak for themselves. We're taking you to church, so pour a dream and settle in. This is the Cash Chasers podcast. Welcome to the Cast Chasers podcast. Uh, to my virtual left, we have Mr. Bobby Bird. Hey, buddy. How's it going? How you doing, bud? Great. And to my virtual right, we have Mr. Aaron Pross.
3: Hey, guys. Good to see you.
2: Great hey. to uh, great to talk to you guys, even though we can't all be in the studio, but we're uh, we're making it work. And, uh, you know, we may all be a uh, distance from each other, but we can still share a fine dram and we can talk good whiskey. And This week, we're talking great whiskey. We have the founder of Falls Church Distillers out of Virginia. Uh, He's a United States Air Force veteran. Thank you for that. and 40 years of sales and marketing experience and uh, opened Falls Church Distillers with his son, Lorenzo, who is the chief distiller. Uh, Also has a degree in chemistry, so we can't wait to talk more about that. Please welcome to the Cash Chasers podcast, Mr. Michael Paluzzi and Mr. Lorenzo Paluzzi. Welcome, guys.
1: And oh, hey thanks guys for having
2: us we uh we're really excited to have you guys on we've been talking about doing this for a while and you know before we get into whiskey is your family from the Virginia area or, or how did you decide to start the uh distilling in Falls Church area
1: uh well so no we're, I'm not originally from here um, both the you know Lorenzo and his younger brother grew up in this area um actually a little further west in Virginia I'm from the Pennsylvania New York State line uh but kind of child of the world at this point and ended up in virginia because it was as close as i could get to baltimore and be comfortable and that's where my family moved to when i was in the military
2: so i know you're uh you're a united states air force uh veteran thank you for that uh you have a long career in sales and marketing so what led you to the world of distilling
1: yeah fair question um so grew up grew up like i said in pennsylvania new york state line in the mountains you know a lot of Cows, a lot of Italian immigrants. So, everybody made all their own alcohol as a child, right? I mean, everybody made their own wine, their own uh, uh, limoncello their own Adesetta, I mean, whatever it was. So, it's kind of a natural progression, too, as you got done canning all those Rome apples. Next thing you did was figure out how to make what is now known as Applejack. At that time, culturally, we thought of it as cold medicine. We would distill apples and make cold medicine out of it. Those habits continued throughout a lifetime. You know, you, you're very popular in college, as, my, as Lorenzo will tell you. <laughs> he was he was the producer for his Frap Boys. Um, but also, Maybe. Uh, yeah, I was, you know, I think we did all that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it was just kind of a natural thing to do. Now, I will say that every, every time I'd make, you know, whatever it would be that I would make, it would taste different. I had no consistency in flavor. I had no knowledge of how to do
4: consistency in flavor. And that
1: is where, you know, having a son go to chemistry school and get that education. That's the advantage. I mean, that's what that skill brought. That I just the process, the recipes. I was so loose with everything. There was no methodology. There was no controls. There was no system in place. Right? It was just me and a cigar and probably another
5: bottle of whiskey while I would be running and still in the backyard all day. There's this thing we talk about all the time with you know spirits and making it and the appreciation we have of the people that make it. But you know, we've all made beer in our house, whatever. But um, I feel like if somebody makes me whiskey and they don't have a degree in chemistry, the fear starts to rise a little <laughs> bit. Because I'm thinking, how, how blind am I about to become? Because you don't know how these molecules work. But, I mean, it's truly a science. And of, of the distillers we've talked to and we've met, they either have that family recipe or they, they, lie, they rely heavily on that science. We have a local distillery and they physically have a lab. And it's just just impressive on what they can do. So to have a genius born into your family. (laughs) I wouldn't call me that. (laughs) Well, you're making whiskey, so you're a hero to us.
3: You're you're a genius in this circle, for sure.
4: (laughs) Well, also, I would say that our first hire
1: um, is uh, Dr. Callie Stavros. She has her PhD in organic chemistry. She's our yeast beast. And so that was was an important addition to our staff as well. She's still with us today. Um, She was, like I say, our first hire so between her she, and Lorenzo our doors work? were closed
0: and she came up and knocked on them she's like hey I was walking by and I saw it wow. will you give me a job and we we're like yeah of course
3: that's awesome yeah, yeah she's getting just more finished, she had just good. finished
0: graduating from Vanderbilt so that was wow. pretty exciting yeah she's smart she's way
2: smarter than me She so. had her phd when she came knocking on your door
0: yes yeah. I mean, she didn't want
2: to work in some lab she wanted to do something fun that's guys? really cool so she's
5: so still with us today three three four almost four years later full disclosure when i come knocking it's not going to be for a job it's more yeah. for
0: the, uh, what's in the barrel yeah we got some cool stuff back there so
2: nice nice so, so lorenzo let me ask you you know having your degree in chemistry um and then having uh you know the um that that background you know how how, how do you apply that to the distilling process and have you seen your experience so far in the business
0: well, I mean, so we don't really have any like you know extraordinarily fancy tools at our disposal, but the knowledge behind it is very important to implementing a process that is consistent. Um, and process is very important when it comes to different controls, you know, like temperature and the fermentation process, and then you know what sort of filtering or not filtering, or what sort of temperatures you're holding at when you're distilling, and you know when to cut your 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 heads and hearts and tails at. I mean, it really. There is still an element of understanding the physical realm of it. You know, like you'll talk to a distiller that has done it their whole lifetime. It's a recipe they've passed down. They know the smell, the taste, the different, um, you know, the different stages of the distillation process. But I think having that background knowledge allows you to not only understand the cooking element of it, but also understand the chemical orientation. And then significantly, it helps actually when it comes to aging and filtration and understanding how. The um, you know the carbon molecules react inside the barrel with the alcohol and understanding how that aging process works and what to look for and not to look for um, from a chemical standpoint. But you know uh, we're not like we don't have some fancy like spectrometer or anything that we're using to you know review the alcohol. We're you know we're using the standard, you know, floaters, you know, to you know to check it and you know, our eyes and our taste buds to make sure that it's consistent.
5: Yeah, Lorenzo, Lorenzo, you use a, i I did a little bit of research and I haven't tasted yet, unfortunately, but I hear Scott has a few bottles for us to sip on. But you use a medium char, which is cool. Um so are you relying a lot on the barrel ingredients, a mixture of both? Where do you when when you focus on the what you're doing with the whiskey where are you at with that spectrum and what is your distilleries, I guess? I mean, maybe it's a little early to talk about it, but what's your addition to the whiskey world going to be, if that makes sense?
0: Oh, that's an interesting question. I think probably like our most recent, um, you know, variation on what we're doing. So, um, you know, a lot of people are doing you know different flavored whiskeys or, You know, they age it in some barrel that was used for an IPA or something silly like that, which, you know, it has some merit, but it kind of loses the whole bourbon or whiskey name, in my opinion. Um, We went uh, the route of sort of spinning what the traditional grains were used um, to create a different flavor profile. And so what we have cooking in the background, if you would, actually aging, is something that has ancient grains in it. So we use some spelt. Um, so it has this really natural sort of honey flavoring to it, like a honey grain sort of flavor. It's really, really nice and the aging process has gone pretty well. I mean, how old is it now, Dad? Like a little it'll over be, a year.
1: It'll be two, It'll be two years in November and we have so Lorenzo's talking about a, a, a product that we didn't send you guys because it's not kind of ready for prime time yet. It's something we basically you know invested maybe ten thousand dollars and did eight barrels um
4: it's like a limited and, release and, we're,
1: and this we're testing it periodically we still haven't fully i mean recipes take a long time to develop right um so if this works out in november at the two year mark we probably still won't bottle it but we'll know whether we want to commit to that as a product and then we'll start mass production and start de-aging so at some point if, it get, if it's really good and it gains popularity there'll be a gap but that's okay
0: yeah and those bottles will be really special but yeah, the ones that you have in front of you are are unique in their own way. I mean, they're kind of homages to older recipes or, you know, some of the more classical styles of bourbon, but just really carefully crafted um, and aged and, you know, watched over.
2: Yeah. I, and I, I promised uh, Bobby and Aaron, I have not opened these yet. I don't intend to open them. Uh, until we're all able to get back together, and, uh, and and you know, hope you guys sent this these to us, and I mean, no sooner we got them, this whole thing kind of blew up shortly thereafter. Uh, so you know, hopefully, the intent is that we have you guys back on when we finally can get together and open these uh, these up, and we would love to talk uh, through them with you guys. We
1: should have shipped you some sanitizer too, huh? Yeah, yeah,
0: we should have.
3: I was actually, I was looking on your website earlier, and I saw that like like a lot of other distillers, you guys have you know. Shifted over to doing a lot of uh, hand sanitizer, and I, I think that's cool for a number of reasons. But that's just that's just really how what what was it like getting the um, just the approval to do that? How is that different? Is it a giant pain in the neck to be able to swap over?
1: So great question, right? So like we did when we first opened up our liquor, the ABC laws and everything didn't catch up to our timing. So for about four days until the actual permit was granted us, we were giving it away because we couldn't sell it legally. So we we're just literally giving away our whiskey and our back and everything that we made. This this The program that we were doing with this as well was the same thing. We started before the TTB basically granted anybody with the DSP the allowances to go ahead and make hand sanitizer because of the emergency situation. And we were planning on just giving it away. And we did give away several, like 5,000 uh, packets of it, right? So the first several hundred gallons were, were given away. Um, but right before that, we were allowed to start selling it. TTB made allowances, anybody with a DSP permit, or spirits was allowed to go in and essentially exercise an industrial permit, which is such, essentially a second permit. Mm-hmm. However, this has been, it started out as a civic cause. It's been such a requirement, such a continuing need that we wanted to get ahead of that. So about three weeks ago, we were actually granted our industrial permit as well. So we're now actually now, can continue on doing this if we choose to. And if the need continues, uh, it was kind of funny because I remember it took us like seven months to get our first permit for the DSP, right? For the alcohol. I mean, because you'd call up and TTB basically had like one or two people processing all these permits, right? You call up, you get the same person and wonder why the only person to work there type of thing. So hmm. I got a call, uh, after submitting the requirement, uh, the, the, the extension or the addition for the, the industrial permit. And the lady says, you know, you don't have to do this. And I said, well, I know I don't have to do this. I know we're, uh, I said, but what's going to happen? How many other people have applied for this? This is two weeks is all it took. And she goes, well, none. nobody. And I said, of 2,000-some distillers across the country, nobody's applied for this? No. Well, what's going to happen when they take this back and they say you got to have that permit? She goes, we're going to get a deluge. I said, how long is that going to take? She goes, oh, about six, seven, eight, nine months. I went, you're going to get me mine today? She goes, yeah. Any more questions? Somebody well, knows actually how
0: to work. The yeah, there's that sales and marketing we, stuff we, going we in. We built
1: our bond up. We took, you know, for our kids We we garnered extra sources for our materials and suppliers. And we've actually done a legal committee. And we've expanded 1,500 square feet just to do this.
0: Yeah, the nail salon next to us shut down. So it already smelled like alcohol in there. Yeah. So. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so so tell us, you know, give us a little sense of you know what has business looked like for you guys during this this time.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be. I mean, you know, I always talked about the ABC laws and the liquor laws as kind of being a prohibition hangover situation, right? People have not quite sobered up enough yet from that night before yeah. to like actually realize it's a good thing we should like make this standard. I think it's happening now. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's hard to roll back stuff once you let it out. So we are now. Um, in the area that we're in, in Northern Virginia, there's five distilleries. Um, and we're the only one that I noticed, that everybody's doing curbside pickup for a couple of cocktails, for a bottle. Mm-hmm. We're actually delivering to people's, we actually hired a bunch of bartenders that are out of work as a third party company, formed a company with them. And they're basically delivering door to door, to the door for us. Wow. So we're right now, we are, we lost our biggest customer, which was our bar. I had to shut down, right? But we lost our biggest customer, and our bottle sales went up 30%. So we are just not even coming in here and picking it up. Just door to door, we're delivering 200 bottles a week. Wow. wow. Right? So and, and demand is not stopping for all of that. Um, we got to hire more people. We took all our kitchen people and everybody else and put them to work on, on bottling lines and, and sanit- sanitizer. I just hired a bunch of high school kids today. As to, they started, uh, you know, to, to start filling sanitization bottles and so forth. So we're, we've increased, we've doubled our, our headcount. Mm-hmm. You know, probably doubled our payroll, um, and we've literally doubled our sales. Wow. So for us, we got. And I always tell people, they say hi. I say I started out just doing the right thing, and ended up being a good thing.
5: Sure. Aaron and I, Aaron and I say all the time, uh, you know part of the cast chasers motto is, you know, to be charitable and, you know, as enthusiasts and as, you know, we don't make it. We just, we worship the ones that do. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, No, no pressure, no big heads, but, (laughs) but the charity in the whiskey community is bar none. I mean, it truly is um, amazing. And I, I, and maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm engulfed in the whiskey community. I mean, we, we, we live and die by it and, and what we do. But I've seen more charity, more donations, hand sanitizer to local government, you know, law enforcement, things like that, um, to the communities. Um, I've seen, you know, distilleries that have food operations, packing lunches for local schools. It's just, it's just amazing. And, you know, you guys do so much cool stuff and make great juice and you really put us in the world of, you know, hell, I wouldn't have a show. We wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for you. But to the charity side of it is amazing, and we're very appreciative of it. So first and foremost, thank you both for that, and that means a lot to us. Well, I appreciate, appreciate the acknowledgement. Um,
1: you know, really raised to believe that if you can do something, and that needs to
5: be done for the greater good. You have an obligation to do it. So you, you brought up, you brought up uh, the hangover of prohibition, and, you know, I'm in Maryland, and uh, a little bit – I'm in Heavity Grace, which is – Sure, yeah, yeah. And um, we're a great town, great whiskey town too, by the way. But uh, we had a distillery a long time ago. I live on Bourbon Street. I don't know what oh, happened it to it, but yeah.
0: I remember going there.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but Maryland, during the Prohibition time, when uh, when it came out, we basically our motto was, no, nah, no thanks. So I, th- I think that's what we see with everything going on right now with the virus and all that. People are like, yeah, we got to do all these things. But what about alcohol? Well, obviously we need that. That's, that's essential. Sure. Yeah. God bless it.
0: Where where was it that where was it that was like said that it wasn't essential? I think it was like PA or something and you know there's some there's some outrage about that. Yeah, uh, PA shut
3: down. Yeah, as far no, as I like mean, liquor stores I mean, and everything, yeah.
0: At the end of the day from the government perspective, you got to think about it from a tax you know angle. Like that's revenue lost for them too and they're all paying out of pocket now to support these businesses and the government's paying out of pocket, It's lost yeah. revenue. So shouldn't shut any business down that doesn't hurt if you, if you would want to call it hurt, you know?
5: Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about, you know, like, to change topics and not to change topics. Small distilleries. I'm going to use a term that some people appreciate. And some people don't. I actually think it's a term of endurance, and, it, but um, um, admiration rather the craft distillery. So there's a, oh, yeah. there's a, there's a pressure to produce, you know, genuine quality material and things like that. You're, 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 and we appreciate that. And one of the things that we try to do is we encourage new distilleries and we want to be a part of new distilleries because you guys are producing some cool stuff and everything. How, what does that term mean to you? And how do you see yourself in the world of, of craft? If, and I don't, I don't mean it again. I don't mean it negative. I mean, it very positive. Where do
4: you put
1: yourself yeah, I embrace no, yeah. the term premium craft, actually. I'll, I will do that, right? <laughs> and, and I think you have to create that perspective because, for one thing, we can't manufacture at the we'll, – we will never be able to manufacture at this kind of capacity to ever be a real product. We can't hit that price point.
0: Well, no. we can never pay enough marketing dollars to make it seem worthwhile to buy it otherwise, right. you know, so, that's – that's the thing you fight when you fight against other larger companies is their, you know I mean their willingness to invest millions of dollars in marketing and sales campaigns. And you know who, who knew of Tito's until they hit the streets as hard as they did, right? Um, and do they really care about the product and what's going into it or where they cut it their well I mean they're not making it themselves, but whatever. Um, the you know when you when you talk about the big guys they're doing it with profit in mind and to squeeze every ounce of sellable alcohol that they can out of it without hurting you right without or at least hitting the hitting the radar somewhere um, and when you're a small business and you're in a local town and, and in our case we're the first distillery to open in Fairfax County that's privately owned since Prohibition um, you know our our name is tied to our product and um, we affect the people that are around us. So we definitely take, you know, a little bit extra off the head before we go into the heart. And we definitely take a a shorter cut when it comes to before we hit the tail. So, you know, we, we really think about that because if we want a product to be super quality, and also there's, you know, a premium price point that's involved in that as well. Not too ridiculous. Um, you know, not like, um, something insane, but something that's palatable um, when you're looking at it in comparison to other top brands.
1: And so I think, I'd, like to, I'd like to segue if I could some of the steps that we took to make sure that we were gonna we could we could honestly claim a quality to our product, right? and kind of did it. And so I mean, the very first thing Lawrence was just, just mentioned that we're Fairfax County. Well, Fairfax County is one of the most populous counties in the area, right? So it ain't well water. It ain't Kentucky limestone well water, right? right. So what do you do? Well, I mean, this is where, you know, Lorenzo's skills in the very early days came in. So when you talk about manufacturing whiskey, and yeah, I mean, I I won't be as hard. Tito's has done a great job. Tito's has been around for, what, 25, 26 years. I know we all think of it as an overnight success, but they paid their dues, too, in the early days, right? Um, And everybody starts someplace, and you build up. But when you start at someplace, it really is, like Lorenzo said, it's about your reputation at the beginning. You have to have that solid, and you have to have a solid product and repeatable. Kind of flavoring that's going to hit you. Repeatable things. So we started at the very water level because water is the first thing and water is the last thing in manufacturing any liquor, right? You're gonna you base your cook in it, and you do your proof with it. So it's going to have a big effect on the quality of your product. So, friends, I'd like to ask you to talk a minute about like that first step we took, just starting right at the ground level, understanding that the beginning, the end, and everything in between is important.
0: So yeah, I mean we 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 um. That was one of my biggest concerns about uh, Falls Church and Fairfax County because they have three different sources of water um, that come in through that throughout the year. As one dries out, they go to the next one, or they cycle through. Um, and so we had to build um, a system that wouldn't strip the flavor out of the water and the necessary nutrients out of the water um, to impact the the wash and the brew process, and wouldn't take away from the flavor of it being added in at the end, um, as as well as um, one that wouldn't hurt our yeast strain or affect the flavor. Um, and so we, we worked with a local company and we did lab tests and a bunch of different things. That's where we did have uh, multiple samples sent off to multiple different laboratories for testing. Um, and we did that over a course of a year. Um, and then we had a system built uh, uh, with, alongside a partnership with a local, um, uh, a local plumbing company. And they helped us build a system that would keep a repeatable water process. Um, with the same level of nutrients and um, necessary uh, materials for the brewing process as well as for the proofing process. Um, so it's a four-stage sta- three three-stage, you know, uh, you know, micron filters and charcoal filters, and then um, the UV for uh, microbiome buildup. And um, then there's a proprietary blend of nutrients that are added in there as well.
3: So that's insane. First of all, <laughs> just, the, just the 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 the. Po- First of all, a Lorenzo, that, that 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 was your you know initial thought, and as your dad said, it's the it's it's the first thing and it's the last thing. Well, when I remember asking uh, him I remember about it, asking, and he yeah. was
0: like, "What do you mean we need to send it off for testing?" I was like, "We need to send it off for testing." Right, <laughs> right. Um, and just
4: he
3: was like, like "How the, much?"
0: I was like, "Doesn't matter,
3: <laughs> all of it, so much." <laughs> um, but uh, so I I wanted to ask you. In, in addition, so we've we've talked on the show about, you know, the the idea of heads, hearts and tails. And I I just want I, th- I think we even had an episode that we titled that because it sounded good. Um, could you for our listeners, because we haven't really delved into that terribly just sort of explain what that means what the idea is behind what a head we, is what we, a heart is what the tail
5: is we talk about it often but yes you know the science of what that means would be interesting for our, our listeners
0: you you had made a joke earlier about you know it's so complimentary when somebody gives you some home brew or home distilled stuff but you don't know if they know the science right and you know there's a lot of old wives tales if you will about you know people going blind from distillation and that's it that comes from methanol So methanol is produced during the fermentation process by yeast, and yeast produces all these chemicals and molecules and organic compounds and and fats and proteins and different things throughout to, um, while it's fueling its life cycle, which is eating itself until it dies, right, or eating its surroundings until it dies. Um, And there's different stages within that, but I won't go into the fermentation process. But in the distillation process, all those different molecules have different boiling points, different um, decomposition points from where they are leaving the solution and uh, going into the gaseous state before they're being reconcentrated and cooled to collect, right? Um, and however, whatever process you're doing to do that, you know, a thumper, you know, condensing columns or different variations of that. Uh, but uh, it's important to know the difference between methanol and ethanol for that one fact. For the blindness fact, one that it's like really not good for you. It's very poisonous, um, and you know it makes a great cleaner, um, but it doesn't smell good. It corrodes metal. It's like super powerful stuff, um, but yeah, you you don't want to drink that at all. And there's a very distinct flavor and smell to it, and even feel on your finger. It can burn a little bit um, depending upon what purity you guys are, you know, you're pulling from your still. Um, but yeah, when, we, when you talk about heads, hearts, and tails. Um, specifically, the, the difference between hearts is there is a very notable flavor and smell differential, but it's that methanol versus the potable ethanol um, that are ethyl alcohols that you're, you're you want to drink and that you want to make sure they stay separate. So you collect the methanol and you dispose of it for, you know properly or you store it for cleaning or whatever you want to use it for. And then um, the ethanol is what you're focused on. And then the tails process is all the heavier compounds that exist within the fermentation process. Now the fatty acids, the esters, the different things that are being produced at the, the tail end of the fermentation process that will muddy the solution. Um, They kind of create this weird film and it creates like this sort of oily look on the top of the alcohol. Um, And there's a couple other key factors that you can kind of tell, but um, distillers, what they often do is they'll, you know, do a hard cut, you know, between the, the heads and the, in the the hearts. They'll go, hey, I'm I'm done with the heads. I'm going to start the hearts. But one of the things that's important is that there's actually multiple phases within the hearts and the kind of the progression of the distillation process, it's kind of this weird sort of curve where it gets to that really high peak and it gently kind of rolls down. And as the temperature raises on where you need to push to get the same amount of alcohol coming out, the the temperature starts to push different molecules through the distillation process. And that's when the tail starts. And so it's important to sort of batch your heart your heart space and then making sure that you're you're able to notate when the tails hit so you don't muddy the whole rest of the solution because just a little bit of that can go a long way when it comes to affecting the flavor
1: Uh, the non-scientific answer i always tell people if you go in and you taste a a product at a small distillery or anywhere and and if that whiskey bites the tip of your tongue don't drink more
4: Methanol
1: yeah, I, uh, bites the tip of your tongue. Ethanol's back in the back, on the sides, and in the back, right? Yeah. So I always tell people when I go into distilleries and taste them, if I get a bite on the tip of my tongue, I'm done with that flavor. I'm on to the next one.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> it, it, it really comes down to the process and the knowledge of you know when to cut, um, and multi-stage cutting is really effective at not muddying your product because if you make a mistake at the end of your your distillation or the temperature all of a sudden spikes because some weird variable or something that happened, you you haven't ruined the rest of the batch with that little bit of tails. Um, and so that's a very important process that you don't do out of a singular still. You know, it's funny, like the way that things used to be distilled, like in the backyards, there's just mason jars, right? Think about it. Mason jar, mason jar, mason jar, mason jar, and you just keep filling them up, right? And that's what I'm talking about, but on a bigger scale, right? And because you can tell, okay, this one mason jar has got this weird cloudy and it smells funky and like, it's it's like just it's wrong, right? Just that little bit though will destroy a whole batch in terms of flavor and make it funky and bite. Um and that methanol is that bite that my dad's talking about, but the, the esters is like more of like a spicy funky thing. I don't know hmm. how
5: really to, to that's uh it. that's right folks. This is a science episode. So gather your kids are around. Everybody that's
3: uh, Well, I'm actually I, I, really glad that we have both of you here to sort of describe both of those sort of aspects, you know, like sort of the deep science aspect, which, like I said, my, and I mean, it's not deep for you, Lorenzo, but like for, you know, the average okay. whiskey drinker, it's, the, ah, yeah, lots
4: of science. Well, well I won't talk about this, anything else. Uh, I won't talk, about, I won't uh, talk uh, about organic chemistry
0: or the composition of anything. I'll, I'll spare you that.
1: There's a romance. So I'm average whiskey drinker, and I hear you because I'll go back and I'll go back into DSP, the the, 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 the distillery, right? And Lorenzo and Callie and you know some of the other people that work back there, and be back there, and I'll ask them a question, and I'll start going down a path, and if they don't like that path, I'm going down because they know I'm just off, I'm wrong. They start doing all this chemistry math on the wall, and I they know I will turn around and walk away.
5: <laughs> so, there's this romance to the you know the the head part and, and the tail part of it, and you know I watched. Jim McEwen, who in the the Scottish whiskey world is a legend, and um, he took a glass, filled it with a little bit of the heart, threw a little water in it, looked for a cloud, swirled it around his glass, tasted it, smelled it, and said, this is ready. And you thought, oh, okay, so obviously he knows what it tastes like. It's ready. But then to hear Lorenzo explain the depth, the complexity of what that really means, is it just shows you, when I watch somebody and, and, I, and I'm victim of this myself and I was you know, I was one of the ones that did this throw back a shot of whiskey and I think about God, the passion the science the effort that went behind that thing you just crammed to the back of your throat if you only knew you would treat it like the art form it is and I'm not going to be one of those ones that are you know drink you know, drink whiskey the way you want to drink it I guess yeah, of course. <laughs> but but there's this portion of it that there's, there's something to be respected there and, and uh I, I think the science aspect of it is, you know, even the you talk about the esters. I mean, the the things you're tasting when I say a chocolate note or a tobacco, there's a science art. There's a piece there. There's something that's being stripped from the barrel when it makes its way through the, the red line that that it's taking, and and I think that's complex and interesting. And I'm, I'm just appreciative that we have somebody like you to kind of explain it. I, I had a question for you know, there, and this is more for I, I this is more for your dad. So Aaron and I come from the sales background that's our that's our mo
4: i was
3: wondering when we were going to get around to yeah. this
5: yeah so so you can uh, make it and be a you know frankenstein's monster all day long but somebody's got to sell that guy right yeah well, I, I, the idea of pushing it through the market because you can make an amazing and i've tasted grand whiskeys from small distilleries that unfortunately may not I have a little wind hopefully that doesn't affect our sound the grand whiskeys from small distilleries that may not even make the light of day, unfortunately, because the marketing part is just poorly done or the sales part is poorly done. Mike, can you talk a little bit about that effort? out there. Yeah. So. I mean, I
1: like I say, I have forty years of you know IT experience. If I include the military in there, But the last twenty of them, have been in selling.
4: Why?
1: That's, that's when I grew up. I mean, I grew up in a retail kind of family and. And so I always knew about selling. I was, you know, taking like a million different classes and everything. But I'm, I'm a. Uh, one of the things I realized in myself very quickly was I'm a lousy liar. But, but I'm a great evangelist if I truly believe in what I'm talking about. Right? So give me a product that I really can believe in. And I can, just like now, I can express that passion. Right? And, you can, and it comes out at the most. And that's what it takes. I mean, it takes believing in your product. And it, then it takes what's sweat and tears, if you will, right? It's grip and grin. It's it's rock and roll. It's it's all those it, it's it's all those different things. Dial and smile. So, I actually took, uh I retired from the industry a couple years ago, and dedicated myself just to selling the product and building up a sales channel. And I've got us in a few states now. I'm actually we're actually rolling back to concentrate based on everything that's happening right now. We had expanded to five states in D.C., and now we're kind of rolling back to just a the D.C. metro area is a focus, you know, Maryland, D.C., and, and Virginia, because it just makes a little more sense at this stage of the game. And we have enough sales volume to continue to, to help us grow to the next steps, right? The hardest thing as a small distributor, though, is that expansion from a couple of perspectives. One is, is I mean, you can do locally, you can drive to the bars and everything, but go out and try to get a, a Diageo or or some, you know, southern, you know, I mean, some some big distributor to take you on ain't going to happen. You can't you can't spiff the reps. You don't have the revenue. You don't have the marketing. You don't have the pull through. You don't have any of that stuff established. So you can't go there. You got to use agents and and kind of micro distillers or micro uh, 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 distributors and things of that nature. You got to start at that level, right? And the other thing is, every state you go to, especially if it's a uh, control controlled state, one of the seventeen control states, you got to put twenty thirty thousand dollars worth of inventory in that ABC system before you ever see a sale. And then you hope it comes back to you at some percentage over time. So it's it's expensive and it's time and it's cost, and it's and the barriers are high. Definitely the barriers are high. I think that what's interesting though right now is I think we're at a pivot point. And we talk about the fact that there's what, about maybe over 2,000, maybe 2,500 distilleries in a country, probably 95% of them are premium craft, micros. Like us, right? Um, how many are going to survive, and, and and how many are going to make it? Nobody's going to make it without the support of their local community, right now. Thank God we have the support of our local community, and that's that 200 bottles a week that we're just delivering to homes within a 10 mile drive of us. Um, but what about the persons out in the country that don't have that ability? Those those small farm distilleries that don't have that that large community to consume the product, they're they're, they're in for a rough time right now. That's the hard downside. The upside is. I think that everybody understands what it takes, the value in small community retail manufacturing, whatever it may be, the businesses, and they're there to support, right? And they're coming out in droves to support. And, you know, towns giving small grants, um, you know, people promoting, uh, you know, cities or small city towns building up, uh, you know, funds to help the small retail businesses survive this. And I think that that kind of commitment from the local community, as long as you have good relations here, is going to help people survive this whole thing. So I'll go back to an earlier comment that Lorenzo made, right? And it's one that, that I remember. I remember as a I remember I grew up in a kind of an Italian immigrant family, right? And with a name like Paluzzi, my dad said to me, he "says You got one name for the rest of your life, and it's one that people are going to remember. That's common. It's not a common name, so you better not mess it up." Mm. And we've always had that kind of philosophy. Let's produce a good product. Let's not mislead people about the quality or or what that product is. Let's price it accordingly as as, as we can. And then let's move out with passion. You know, that that kind of family, that heritage, that passion.
2: Yeah. And Michael, one of the things that I've been thinking about as I've heard you and Lorenzo speak about it is, you know, one of the things you and I spoke about before you were on the show was helping get the word out. About Falls Church, and and one of the things that struck me through this entire conversation is um, is that passion that you just referenced, right? And it comes from for a family, you know. I don't know if it's okay to just call this a family business. You know, I mean, it definitely is. Uh, but when you see the, the, the passion that comes from, we're not just going to come in and we're just gonna, not going to put a still in, start distilling something and put it out there. I mean, you get you, you bring in the science aspect, you bring in all that business experience. It, it, it's obvious that the passion is there. Do you find it somewhat of a, a tightrope to keep that circle small enough to where you stay humble and, and passionate about it? You don't lose that that site, but also grow the name big enough to, you know, obviously keep the business flourishing. Is that a tightrope? Do you see it as that as such or
0: are you asking if we have a ceiling on how much we want to make? Is that what you're trying to say?
1: (laughs) No, Let's just say I want that problem.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The reason I ask is we, we talk all kinds of um, whiskey. We we've talked to uh, big companies, small companies and sometimes when you get to the bigger sides and, you know, people that are picked up by Diageo or something like that, um, sometimes it does feel a little corporate-ish, right? I mean, it's just – and you lose that – some of that passion that, that brings people to whiskey. And when I hear you guys talk, I hear nothing but that passion that brings people to whiskey. And so, I'm always curious about that line, especially when you get to the micro distilleries.
0: I, I, I like that point because I think it brings up something that's interesting in both the technology space as well as in food beverage space. Um, and this comes to um, automation, right? When you get big, there are these structural things that start to happen and all these different sort of automated processes and, you know, the humans no longer in the loop. And I think the really important thing about staying in a craft space is there's always going to be human in the loop. Um, we're not just trusting the system to do it, and we we just have this recipe. It just goes. We just throw it in a bucket, turn it on, and it's done, right? In, in a matter of a week or two, I don't it's just all automated. There's sure there's a testing process where there's humans in the loop, but that's just QA QC, right? That's just quality assurance and quality check. That's not the same thing as um, really having your hands in a bucket or you know, hand stirring a you know, a mash. It's not the same thing. And there's a different proponent and there's a different level of heart that goes into it. Right. So, yeah, I, I would say that there's there's an interesting point that you're making there. Right.
2: Yeah. You guys have several different uh lines there. It's not just a whiskey company or distillery. Uh, you do brandy, rum, vodka, gin. All our side projects. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. There's some th-
0: those are some of our core products. Yeah, that's, yeah.
1: that's a great point because how do we do that, right? So yeah, there's only right. there's only five of our products that we put into distribution out of twelve. Okay. Mm-hmm. The rest are seasonal. Like right now we're out of rum. Okay. Right? We're out of, we ran out of rum. The first week we were delivering to homes, people drank up to eight and we, we didn't produce enough. The next batch, not ready till the end of June, not gonna be released till the end of June. We'll never see, we, we're, we're doubling our capacity on the rum because so, we see the, the growth. We've seen the demand, yeah. We don't, we don't ever plan on putting that in the distribution channel. You got to come to us so you got to order from us to get, or you got to know us to get that, right? So the brandies, seasonal for the holidays. The rum, you know, very particular how we do that. So some of the different, the lemon verbena gin, well, I grow that lemon verbena in my backyard, right? So there's only so much we're ever going to do, it's a specialty flavor. So the regular gin, the whiskey, the bourbon, um, and the and the vodka and the pepper vodka, because it's just so popular for Bloody Marys and summer martinis, those are the things we put in the mass distribution, right? But even the and the pepper vodka is one of those things that kind of evolved. Mm-hmm. Because that started out as pepperoncini that we grew, and now it's now we can't. We can't
5: keep up the capacity, right? So, Mike, capacity. so we found Mike, other sources for pepperoncini. Yeah. Mike and Lorenzo both, I'm gonna tell you something you probably don't know. Um, whiskey takes a long time to make. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah,
4: just so, a little so, bit. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I
5: So, so there's this there's this balance of, you know, are you an MGP product, are you, you know, making your own thing and then am I making gin and am I making, you know, uh rum on the side. There's an income pro- process there that you have to maintain. And we truly respect that aspect. We truly, and, I, and I'll be candid with you. I'm a I'm a proponent of MTP. Um, I'm not one of the ones that steer away from it. And there are many that do, and they're, you know, because of mass production and everything. But I think with the right distiller and the right blender, you have you have a good product. But I truly respect the nuance of small distilleries because you you know Jim Beam has a craft distill department. I mean, you know yes, that.
4: they do. Yeah.
5: yeah, right. But but the the, the consumer. The, the enthusiasts, I should say, we recognize the difference. We recognize the difference between that truly new and upcoming whiskey maker and appreciate your thinking about, and I'm a Scotch guy, to be candid, the grain is important, the water's important, the yeast is important. It's not about for that. You said it before, Linda. um I, I, think, I think there's a portion of that, that that's missed a little bit, but there's also that financial side. There's a capitalistic point. You, you want to keep the doors open. You got to pay your people. You know, so other stuff has to be done and made. There's got to be a bar. There's got to be a restaurant,
0: you know? I mean, yeah, I think that's, it's always, you know, a line you toe. But, you know, it's, it's, there's a difference when you are, you know, checking every piece of the process or you're cutting the bag of grain yourself or, you know, it's, there's just, it's just different. And I, you know, I would argue that, um, you know, big businesses are accustomed to continuing what makes the money. And small businesses are interested in what's going to make them different. And it kind I of that's why Jim, I, I like Jim Beam's model a lot, where they have that separate component because that's their think tank, that's their innovation unit, right? And it's really important for businesses to have that innovation and always be changing and be agile um, with you know what's popular, what's what's hot in the area. Like, you know, my dad can talk about some of the cool things that we've done as far as, you know. Um, cocktails to go during this phase. But, you know, as far as the whiskey stuff, I kind of highlighted a, a cool one that we were doing. And then some of the brandies and different things that we're doing are really unique. And nobody's really touched in that space, at least in our area, um, for as, as as much as we know, um, they're very much focused on sort of the, the three go-tos of vodka, gin, and bourbon, or vodka, gin, and whiskey, if you will. Um, everyone will probably just do those three and they'll you know, maybe do a variation here and there if they get a hold of some like apple juice or something. Uh, but we've worked with a lot of different businesses in the area to do really cool things, some really successful. And that's why we've doubled down on them and then others, you know, that were sort of shots in the dark.
5: Well I I can't wait to have that twelve year old that I know that I can sit back with my you know, maybe grandkids or children and hopefully it's sooner grandkids. Jesus, I'm only thirty eight. But I want to be able to say, yeah, I knew these guys when they got first started. You, you should have tasted it back then.
4: Yeah, not, there you
5: go. You know. So,
1: so the, you know, the key, the key to successful growth, I think, and and ultimately in this business, you, there's certain exit strategies, right? I mean, and one of the, and probably the primary exit strategy to success is to be bought by one of the big ones. Mm-hmm. So, in 40 years in the IT industry, I've worked for a whole bunch of little companies that got bought by big companies, right? I mean, I I worked for IBM twice by acquisition. Right. So the key is the leverage to, to keep your identity for your unique technology in that case or our unique liquors. But the leverage, their accounting, their shipping, their logistics, their manufacturing, their sales. But don't lose what made your product a success. And so that I think the companies are going to achieve that and maintain that are, are going to be ultimately the, the long
5: lasting recognizable brands. I agree. We have people, we have friends that have been bought out, you know, local distilleries and won't mention any names for legal reasons, <laughs> but that have been bought out by Sazerac and other companies like that. And the name is, the name is what they're buying. But the hope is, of course, that what, what they put behind their whiskey stays the same. So, um, you know, you get that sometimes and sometimes you don't. And, you know, again, the consumers recognize it.
0: Well, I mean yeah, once I think, they take a look at the L, they'll they'll do whatever they need to do to change what they need to change.
3: Absolutely. So, and I think that's a that's a fine, fine line and it's it's something that you can definitely that you can definitely latch on to with the companies that are able to do it successfully, you know, still keep their product in there, you know, their product that they started with, their baby, their the thing that they are passionate about, even if they do get bought up or get, you know, huge or something like that. And I, I, I love I love talking to uh, to distillers like you guys that have that passion and have that you know just a you know we go a little further into the heart you know and and, and just like th- those sort of things and just that integrity that's there with that and, and the, the the distillers um, that are able to sort of keep that integrity uh, throughout even when you do get bigger and have you know uh, Michael Michael said something uh, that we we say in our office all the time when stuff's going great you know great problem to have you know (laughs) so like i mean the the, just hearing you guys talk i can i can tell that when and if you know something like that comes around um that's going to be your goal is to sort of maintain that integrity and i did want to i did want to touch on um you were talking about you know like whiskey gin and vodka that's what you know that's what distillers do and one of the things that um when scott first started talking to us about you guys that um that really sort of made me step back a little bit was when i you know went to your website and i actually have it up now but when i initially went to your website and started looking for through your products i'm like okay church bourbon that's a cool name okay bourbon and oh brandy oh rum oh yeah and and, like i just kept scrolling down and i was like is this all the same place you know and it's just that's that's really neat to see that you know you guys have your passion but you've also got you know, you, you've also got just so much like cool, fun stuff as well. It, it's like a it just just looking at your website and, and wondering what all this stuff you know tastes like is like a playground for me. And I'm a whiskey guy, so like I I, I just wanted to comment on that and bully bully for you that
0: you're you're going so, after so all that. So let's let's flip the script really quick. Um, and just out of curiosity, um, if you guys were to see a product hit the market what would be like the ideal flavor profile? And I heard one of you talk about loving scotch, right? So like you love single malt or like that smoky, or is it more about the peat? Like where's that perfect blend that you guys are waiting uh, for? Like some unique products.
5: You know, Lorenzo, man, what a good question. So I, 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 I'm from Texas. So I'm from i I'm from a place where I should be more of a bourbon fanatic. Mm -hmm. And I love bourbon. I mean, I have a, you know, I'm a Scotch I'm a whiskey enthusiast. We have a we have a podcast around based around it. So we like all whiskey from everywhere. Um well some places. There's some places that are struggling. We'll bring those up right now. Um I'm the antagonist of the group. But anyway, I I, I think that I, I, I think what I appreciate about Scotch whiskey is is the complexity of the uh, I I think I think Aaron actually one time told to me that so we're we're drinking uh for laddie, um the classic laddie, and he said i think Aaron, your words were it's like a roller coaster and with bourbon i adore a good bourbon i adore a good weeded that's my favorite kind of bourbon to be you know honest i, I struggle with rice, but i i like a good too. And, and, yeah. I like, and i like it i like a decent corn whiskey and i like a grain whiskey uh, you know one of my oldest whiskeys i have is a 30-year um grain single malt from scotland but there's a complexity with Scotch that takes you in different directions, and I'm not actually the biggest peated fan. And one of the misconceptions with Scotch whiskey is that it has to be peated. There are sherry bottles. Yeah, but but with for me with whiskey and something you said that and I, I took a I'm gonna be you know some of this will be edited some of it won't. I took a bathroom break in the middle of this. And I stopped and my wife was in the dining room and I said to her, you know, I've got this young man and his father on here and they've got this and and, and this kid impresses me. And I use the term kid lovingly, Um fine. I look young. you know, but but you impress me and everything because you're concentrating on things that I appreciate scotch and that's water is important. Grain is important. Yeast is important. And scotch really plays into that. You look at Glamour Alta, where they did a uh, they did a. Um, experiment with wild yeast strains and really? they care about the heather and the water and they care about the local farmers and what's in the grain and not that bourbon gets away with that or, or forgets about it but they focus so much in my opinion on the barrel and there's nothing wrong with that but when you're in the world of scotch you only have a certain amount of barrel life left so yep. it's really about the other ingredients and I respect the hell out of that and that's what I'm looking for in an in a, in American whiskey, How much do you care about the ingredients other than the barrel? You know, age isn't as important to me. I don't, oak is fine, but what are the other things? What are the other aspects? So So, that's what I'm looking for.
1: So Bobby, when you drink our church bourbon, I'm going to tell you a little trick to do that we do here at the bar all the time, right? It's got a little bit of rye in it. So it's got a little bit of spice finish and it's 30% barley. So it's going to smell like scotch on a nose, but it's not going to come through on the palate. It's going to be a little sweet up front from the corn. Little pepper on the finish, just enough in there to make a nice Manhattan or Old Fashioned. You want to fool yourself, you want to fool your palate. Smoke the glass, and that barley will run out of there, and you'll think you're drinking a Scotch.
0: It's pretty cool.
3: That's awesome. I, I want to chime in on this question also. Um, I am also more of a Scotch guy um, than a than a bourbon or American whiskey. You 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 just got you just got a lineup of us here. Mm-hmm. Um, but um hey no, what I'm, are we doing on here? that's right <laughs> um I, I for first that that's now i'm even more excited to to try your product um and i'm kind of annoyed that i couldn't you know talk scott into sending us each like a little drop of it or something um but um i, I will make think, up for think, it don't worry <laughs> there you go um i think i think bobby sort of hit the nail right on the head and i i For me, for me, the most enjoyable whiskey is something that's complex, Um, something that, um, you know, the nose is different from the palate, which is different from the finish. But there's, you know, some line that runs through it. And I think the best whiskeys that do that, I haven't found this in a lot of American whiskeys, but the best whiskeys that do that tend to be scotches. And again, I think I think it's because you're getting less of that barrel in a scotch. Um, you're getting more of sort of the nuances. You're also waiting, you know, 10 to 15 years to get a product that's, you know, going to be able to, to sort of, you know, take Most you on that, Most of it's that, with right? the angels now, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you're paying for that. Um, but, uh, the, I, I don't know how that translates to a, you know, into your process. Like, how do I make this whiskey more complex? I will say things that I have been just starting to delve into, and am really enjoying. And i i don't I don't know if uh, in the in the distiller community if this is you know a very bandwagon thing, but a lot of the American single malts that I'm seeing is like the new sort of hot buzz thing. And i've 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 only had two so far, and they're as far as products from the United States that you know I'm really like wowed by. Uh, the two of those that I've tasted recently have been. Like, wow. And I know it's not a defined, you know, field or, you know, regulated thing at this point, American single malt. But the, the couple that I have had, and I, I again, it's it, it's from the grain, it's from, you know, those sort of things. But I, I, I'd say most important to me is complexity with some sort of line running through. And again, I don't know how that translates to, you know, I the process can... or anything.
1: We have a an underlying credo to any product that we bring out. And maybe I use that word wrong or too loosely, but you you taste first with your eyes. You taste second with your nose. And then you taste with your palate. And each one of those experiences should be an experience, right? Connected, but dissimilar on a level to make it interesting. We craft our, our products that way and we craft our cocktails that way, right? And every time we bring a bartender in, we teach them. This is our product. This is how we talk about it. This is how we deal with it. This is how we expect our people to. Experience. So when we craft crafting cocktails around it, the same thing has to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And a, a, a unique point to that, I just wanted to say, is that everybody's experience is different and that nobody's experience is wrong. Um, obviously, we have our palettes, and we have our, what we would, you know, talking note. um, but you know, not everyone is a Somalier. I'm not saying that we are, but we love whiskey and you guys love whiskey too. And you guys will probably pick up on different things that we would. Um, you know, half of my nose doesn't work. So sometimes I don't pick up some things my dad does. So it's like, you know, that's, that's the unique thing too, is that, you know, people come into our, our facility and they taste it. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's wrong.
1: Yes. Yeah, when you ask people, and people are like, you know, they know you put your heart and soul into this, and you're small, and they hate to tell you they don't like something, and I'll, we just outright "We're like, it's
4: okay." Oh,
1: yeah. It's okay because if there was <laughs> one thing that everybody would like
5: all the time, hell, that's all we'd all be making, right? I mean, um, why, would, you, why would you experiment? Often, why would you stress? No, I had a, I had the, and I'll call him out because he's a great dude. I won't use his name, but I, I had a I had a tasting with Reservoir. Distillery. He's a Virginia distillery? Oh, great guy.
1: Yeah. Met him, I met him and yeah. his son when we did the uh, storming the Capitol Hill last year for the new laws.
5: Yeah, I, I don't think he's from Virginia either. He's got this very New York, New Jersey thing going on. But anyway, yeah, get into that. Okay. A little brash, but anyway, um, I love him. Great dude. Had had an opportunity to meet him, and I tasted his. He had a. Um, he's very big into the weed with whiskey. And I like weed with whiskey. He wasn't a fan. I told him. I said, you know, I'm not a fan of this. I don't like it um it's not my cup of tea it kind of it kind of cuts in because i believe in being honest if in the position we're in where we're reviewing and things like that i don't want to be i don't make it if you can't do you teach kind of thing i don't want to be that guy because you guys are out there putting hard work in and we appreciate it but i think honesty is important but then he served me this corn whiskey finished in a wine barrel that blew my mind it was amazing and I was the I, I was the first front and center and said you're a genius. So I appreciate artistic, you know, uh, you know, cuisine and 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 passion behind what you do. And I haven't even tasted your whiskey yet. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it out loud in front of our viewer our listeners and everybody else. I'm anticipating good things. Oh. Their <laughs> passion, and I mean this, you put behind it. But now I mean, you've done thinking. it. <laughs> <Yeah. But laughs> if I and if I and ask the guys if I hate it, I'll be the first one. I have a lawsuit pending with Jack Daniels, I'm sure. And many, <laughs> but, and many others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I appreciate your and I'm I'm excited to taste it because your task master approach to the ingredients and your care and passion behind the little things. There's so many that don't care about that that aren't looking into the yeast, the grain and, and the water as, as as much as you are you know, Kentucky gleans on lime, limestone water. And that's their, that's your shtick. That's their gimmick. But I've tasted so many Kentucky whiskeys that taste the same. So I'm yeah. anticipating some amazing stuff. And I'm, 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 I'm rooting for you. And I hope, I hope, I hope for the best. If I was going to ask you to make something for me personally, it's whatever you cared about the most. That's what I want to drink. Whatever uh-huh. whiskey you made that was, you were the most passionate about. When I visit, that's what I want in the glass. And mm-hmm. the experience is going to make it taste like a, a million bucks.
1: And so uh, I'll, I will tell you this. I mean, yeah, you will like our stuff, or you won't like our stuff. But we will never try to fool you with artificial or with unique additives or anything of that nature to try to, you know, mask an incomplete product. We, you'll, you'll never see a chocolate flavored whiskey or a tea flavored or uh raspberry or all of the things that people do to bring a product to market quicker right to mask the lack of they try to make you're not going to get that from us. We, we will go down on a blaze before we'll do that i th-
2: i think um you know uh, as, as this is such a great question lorenzo that i think this is something that we should turn to uh the cash chasers community uh and and put out there and Yay! <laughs> that would be such a great topic to see Love it. back, and I, I and so for everybody listening, uh, for all the cash chasers that are uh, you know listening out there, be on the lookout. I think that that's such a great topic that we we're going to put out there, and we want to get your responses and uh and, and see what everyone's uh, you, you know you need keeping, to- keeping in mind what bourbon has to be. That's true. <laughs> that's, really true. that's true. But it's if good. it's a whiskey, you know. Fair game, bourbon. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, as we wrap up, uh, I, I just want to I, I want to leave everyone who's not familiar with Falls Church uh, with a great lasting impression. So, Michael, Lorenzo, both of you guys, uh, just tell us why Falls Church. If,
1: if if we please your palate, then why us, right? And if we're not your palate, if we're not your product, no offense, yeah. right? We believe we've created a great product for a broad spectrum. Of people to appreciate, but if we if you don't if you don't that day you talk about palates they change with what you eat they change with how you feel they change and that's okay because the beauty of the thing is how many thousands of whiskies are out there we think we're bringing something that's worthwhile we think we believe in our product but if it's not you that's okay we get it no offense right. Runs.
0: You add something to that. I mean, besides the location and the historical relevance of Fairfax County um, to George Washington and who was the largest distiller um, after his presidency, I think that there is an element to be said that you know, experiencing a local small business in the heart of the country where distilling got a lot of its roots is an experience in its own and. Um, and it's really just kind of a part of a like a little bustling city that's really unique. If you've ever been to Falls Church, um, you know, it's it's definitely a cool experience. Unlike, you know, going to a farmhouse, it's, you know, in a like an area of like apartments and all this other cool stuff. that's you know, kind of running around. You you, you don't really get to experience a lot of distilleries like that. Um,
2: but yeah, that's that's all I'd say.
0: That's more eloquent than me, right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can tell you right now, from from the, all the feedback we always get from from our whiskey community, from the, from the guys here, um, that's a home run answer. I mean, that's just that's exactly what we always look for. Um, we love that in dist- the distilleries that we talk about. That's just, I mean, we we really can't ask for more than than that. We ju- we just thank you guys. Well, Michael, Lorenzo, this has been a fantastic interview. Thank you both so much for coming on the show and sharing your insight and knowledge with us and our listeners. We urge everyone who is near the D.C. metro area to pick up a bottle of Falls Church Distillers bourbon, and you will not be disappointed. For more information, be sure to check out their website at fcdistillers.com. As always, you can find us on all social media at Cash Chasers or on the web at cashchasers.org. Be on the lookout on our Facebook pages this week for the chance to send your responses to Michael and Lorenzo on what your ideal flavor profile would be or what that perfect blend is that you've been waiting on. Who knows, you may help inspire the next amazing release coming out of Falls Church Distillers. Until then, cash chasers remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram, it's all in the chase.